You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. This is Jerry Prokopovich on Civil War Talk Radio. History is so boring. That's what we hear from many people, not from you if you're listening to this show, because in all probability you at some point had a special teacher who ignited your interest in the past. Our guest today is just such a teacher, James A. Percoco of the West Springfield High School in Springfield, Virginia, and author of Divided We Stand, teaching about conflict in U.S. history. Find out why the past doesn't have to be boring for our students with our guest, James A. Percoco, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Writers Wanted, at the 6th Annual La Jolla Writers Conference, October 20-22, through 22, 2006, where New York Times best-selling authors, editors, agents, publicists, screenwriters, and poets will help you find your voice and perfect your craft. Get feedback on your work from New York Times bestsellers James Gripondo, Linda Leo Miller, Steve Berry, Margaret Weiss, Catherine Ryan Hyde, and a host of other outstanding authors. Participate in read and critique classes with renowned literary agents and editors and know that you can later submit to them on a first-name basis. Hone your screenwriting skills with Alan Russell and Warren Lewis, the writer of Black Rain, The 13th Warrior, and other movies, and find out what it takes to get your small press book on the shelves of Barnes & Noble with Marcella Smith of their New York office and Jan Nathanson of PMA. Whether you write fiction or nonfiction, whether you're looking to jumpstart your writing career or simply hone your craft, join the unique writing community of the La Jolla Writers Conference October 20th through 22nd. For more information, check us out at LaJollaWritersConference.com or call 858-467-1978. The La Jolla Writers Conference, turning writers into authors and authors into bestsellers. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. and I'm coming to you from my office on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. It is another glorious autumn day here in 2006 on campus, and I'm delighted to be with you again. But as always, the university is neither delighted nor undelighted. It takes no position on anything I say. It's not responsible for anything heard on this program, and that's our legal disclaimer for this week. We uh, well as we get started, I will point out that last week uh, I spoke to Eric Dean about his very interesting book on post-traumatic stress disorder among Civil War veterans, and I had to apologize to him at the beginning of the show because I had not actually read the book, only an article drawn from the book because our university library was laggard in collecting that particular title. 
And it turned out, uh, I predicted we'd have uh, perhaps the best show ever because I was so ill-prepared. And indeed, it was, I thought, uh, a fascinating uh, program. I learned a lot from Dr. Dean about what uh, what the soldiers went through. So I'm thinking of making it a, a perhaps a, a pledge not to read any more books about the Civil War and simply review, uh, conduct these conversations from a position of, of increasing ignorance each week in hope that the show will get more and more interesting. Uh, it's one possibility. We'll see. Uh, I will, uh, I, this week, our guest James A. Prococo has written several books on teaching, uh, which I have looked at in the past and, and used in my own teaching. He is working on a current book that's not available yet, so my excuse for not reading it is it's not out yet. Uh, but we'll see if, once again, the technique of not reading uh, pays off. And one more uh, self-indulgent comment, if I can uh, beg your, your patience. Last week I did mention on the show that the history department here at East Carolina had uh, recommended me and a colleague uh, for tenure. It was a very happy moment. This past week has seen a barrage of notices from the dean or chancellor uh, saying there's yet another document that must go into your dossier. We forgot to tell you about this one or that one. Uh, all new things. It's like the nightmare one has where you're about to reach the finish line of a race or some long-sought goal, and each time just as you're about to get there, something drags you back, sort of like occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge to give it a Civil War flavor, uh, that great Ambrose Bierce story. Uh, you never quite get to your goal, and this week has been something like that. Each time I thought, well, I'll prepare for the show now. Uh, uh, pop up on the screen, don't forget to fill out one of these forms that we forgot to tell you about six months ago. But it's all behind me and done, and we're here on a Friday afternoon ready to talk Civil War at last uh, with our guest, uh, Jim Prococo. Jim, are you with us today? Yes, I am. Wonderful. It's good to hear from you. Good to hear from you. Uh, you and I last crossed crossed our paths, I think, at the Lincoln Museum in uh, Fort Wayne. Yes, in 2002. That's right. And uh, you were working on uh, a, a program involving uh, traveling to Lincoln sites, as I recall. Right. It was uh, travel uh, more specifically to uh, Lincoln monuments, uh, statues erected to uh, Lincoln's memory. Well, uh, I did just read your article in the... Uh, uh, Organization of American Historians newsletter. Uh, I'll describe uh, a trip you took with some students, and I want to uh, go through that with you uh, in just a moment. But I thought I'd start by asking if you had, if you in your own background had the same experience uh, that I know I had, I think many people had, of having some teacher at some point who, who fired your imagination to get you interested in, in the Civil War or in history generally. Well, I, um, to be honest with you, I think I, I think I'm doing what I was supposed to do in life. I, I had a really good high school history teacher um, uh, when I when I was back in in the mid '70s when I was in high school, and um, we still keep in contact. Um, our teaching styles are very very different. He's he's also still a teacher, and I would say that Neil probably influenced me at least in making the decision or moving me in a direction that I would I would take history as a teacher and go with it as a teacher as opposed to uh, being uh, at that point in my life an academic. So uh, did you have any teachers or academics in your family? No, no. I'm the first teacher in our family. Interesting. That's, my parents were both teachers, uh, high school teachers. I, I can recall them saying to me over the dinner table, 
the world is all yours. Choose any career you want, but don't be a high school teacher. Uh, <laughs> not that they were disillusioned or bitter. They 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 loved what they did, but uh, you know better than anyone how how hard the work is. And, and yeah, it, it's hard, it. but you know if if I were asked to do it again, I would certainly do it again. Um, in some ways, I've kind of cut my own trail um, over the years as a teacher and. And uh, I think my personality has lent itself to sort of cutting it to my own trail. But at the same time, I made a deliberate conscious decision to stay in the classroom because I very much enjoy, uh, you know, firing up the imaginations uh, of young people and, you know, getting them engaged in the, in the learning process so that they will become uh, – lifelong learners so that you know learning just doesn't end at the schoolroom door that it, it continues and that it continues you know many years well beyond your your college or your academic experience i guess you've been teaching long enough do you have any former students who've gone on to teach yes i do i've got actually got a number of students that have gone on to teach and a number of students that have gone on to uh... uh get to advanced degrees in public history Oh, wonderful! Uh, it, it, that that really is a rewarding. Yeah, it is, and I I stay in touch with a, a, a number of folks um, over over the years um, who uh, you know either you know keep me informed and let me know what they're up to, or uh, you know drop me an email every now and then saying, "Are you still there?" Because I've been here uh, at West Springfield now for 27 years. Now you mentioned public history, and I noticed in your article you you teach a course in what there is called applied history. Yes. Uh, that's, and that's what I teach here at, at East Carolina. It is a, uh, it's a kind of an odd term, it seems to me. It's one that many people don't, don't know outside the field. What, what exactly, how, how do you define public history? Well, you know, it, I define public history as, as the history that is done in public venues, be they museums, uh, be they film, uh, be they historic sites, house museums, uh, where there's where your audience is not encapsulated by seats in a classroom, that, where you have a, a much broader audience that you're trying to reach, and it's it's I, I think you're trying to reach an educated audience because people don't show up at historic sites or battlefields or Museums, unless they have some kind of tangential interest in it, and so I think what a public historian has to do is is really f- reach, you know, you know, John and Josephine Q. Public and interpret history in a way that that will be vibrant and dynamic, whatever their medium is, be it a site or a, or a film. Well, that is uh, certainly the challenge of the public historian, and certainly what we try to teach teach here. Not long ago, I had in my classroom uh, Larry Ties, who years ago was the president of the National Council on Public History, and he described, uh, back when you and I were actually both in high school in the 70s, uh, the the beginning of the public history movement in the United States. And he had an interesting story about the debate within the, the first people who got together, whether it ought to be called public history or applied history. And uh, the well, well, the problem, the the one problem that I have, and it's really an external as opposed to an internal, is that in 
public schooling, applied courses are often seen as remedial courses. And um, applied history is an incredibly academically rigorous course for for students. And I, I often have a lot of students tell me they want to take the course, but they're afraid that if they take the course and the college that they're applying to, because only seniors can get into the course, mm-hmm. that the colleges that they're applying to may look down on it. So quite often I provide students uh, articles I've written about the course that they can submit with their college applications because it is, it's a very academic course. Now, some people said, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you make it an AP course? Well, you know, AP is run by the college board, and that's a whole different mm-hmm. scenario there. Um, but the level of the, the work that students do in the class is uh, is very, very sophisticated, uh, wrestling with, you know, issues in terms of public memory and um, how we interpret the past that that you would not get in a normal high school class. The uh, that's an interesting issue. Then the 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 misunderstanding of what applied history is, and the fear that it's it's remedial or vocational or something other than uh, serious. And that's actually affected even within the historical profession. There's been a lot of discussion. Uh, a lot of misunderstanding of what public history or applied history is supposed to be. Uh, James McPherson wrote uh, an article when he became president of the AHA a few years ago uh, in which he admitted he didn't know what public history was at that point. And uh, it's just not a term that gets that gets properly defined. I... No, it's it's not, but I think, you know, in the, in the 16 years that I've been teaching the course, I've sort of, as I've gotten involved in the public history community, I, there's been sort of a blossoming, or at yeah. least a taking root of, you know, public history. Uh, more of my students are aware of it in terms of potentials for postgraduate study. Um, I've had, you know, students, you know, contact me about various public history organizations um, as 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 the organizational kind of structure for public history has has sort of expanded at the same time that I've been teaching this class. It it really has. And, uh, I mean, the number one reason, it seems to me, for that is the the scarcity of jobs in teaching in higher education, that if you want to be, if you want to make history your career, you can hope to get a university job, spend the years to get the the doctoral degree, and then, then hope a job is available, but that's it's an increasingly long shot, whereas going into public history gets you into the world of practicing history in a much shorter track with a much better chance of employment, perhaps not the best paid employment, but but it gets you out there. Right. And that's uh, that seems to me a good thing. Well, send send some of your uh, good students down here to East <laughs> Public History Department, and we'll, we'll train them right up. The uh, it, It's interesting, you mentioned the, the the fear that applied history is is too simple. Here at this university, before I came here, there were some doubters in the history department who thought uh, public history would become a haven for uh, for the slackers. They would take uh, they would take it to avoid having to take a foreign language, which was not a requirement of the public history degree at that time. And over the years, we've we've made the curriculum more rigorous, where now the public history degree is is the same, if not 
more challenging than the straight history degree, including a foreign language. And we found our students uh, have just risen to it, and, and we get better students taking public history uh, each year. Yeah, I, I think um, I think there's a, a myth that that if people are challenged or if you ratchet up the requirements, people aren't going to rise to the occasion. And in my class here, um, I've had all kinds of students in the class. It's not just for a kid that's in an AP track. So I've had kids that are special ed. You know, it's a real inclusive kind of environment. And I've had, you know, some of my best students have been students who have not been necessarily AP students, but they've got a genuine love and interest in the pursuit of the study of history. Um, and they've gone on to do, you know, all kinds of things from historic preservation work to, um, uh, to I've got one young lady that uh, she's, she's a, a finishing up at Columbia. Uh, her plan, she wants to be an academic history in, in, in Jewish studies. So I've had a wide range of kids that have come through the class, and it's just, what's just so neat about it is you can watch kids grow in that nine-month period that they're with you in ways that that you might not see uh, in, a, in, a, in a regular class because the class gives me much greater latitude in terms of how to instruct and what to instruct because it's not pegged into one of these uh, standardized uh, year-end high-stakes test kind of program that, that have been imposed on schools for the last, well, now going on 10 or 12 years. It has been a while, and that does, it is a frustration uh, of a secondary teaching. Well, the, I like talking shop uh, as much as anyone, and we could do it all day, but we should probably get to Abraham Lincoln in the sure. Civil War. We'll do that. We're going to take a short break, and we'll come right back on Civil War Talk Radio with James Prococo and myself, Jerry Prokopovich. We'll be back in just a moment. 